Hello, welcome to episode 207 of Riot Act, the alternate music podcast. Alternate, that's what I'm saying. Oh, <laughs> you like that, didn't you, Sam? Uh, you like that? Nice curveball. Yeah, or it's the alternate. It's just uh, <laughs> deliberately sort of cutting out letters and stuff. Or Americans, they like to cut them out and add them in, don't they? Yeah, them? not a fan of the Their letter language. U, are they? So. Oh, God. Uh, well, I don't know, aluminum. Oh, yeah, that's the I they've taken they, out of they that. They really, they fucking lean in on that ooh in a lieu in a loo in aluminium don't they you're right they I, I am useless or, well, no, or slissless hey mate yeah. look i get <laughs> yeah or useless <laughs> uh, hello my name's stephen hill by the way that's sam slight speaking there he is hello sam, i've got to say got to say mm-hmm. what's happening with uh talk us through the shirt i mean our listeners can't hear this but talk me through the shirt that you're wearing please sergio Giorgini. so you can still find them. <laughs> uh, it is. Uh, fuck it, I can't even remember who this is. Uh, I just wanted to wear a nice shirt today because um, I've realised the older I get, uh, I'm getting a lot more vain about my appearance. So, yeah. Definitely. Thought I'd just put something yeah. nice on for you, for your eyes only. Well, good for that. It's basically, I'm going to sort of talk through it. It's a sort of, uh, it's like a kind of edgier version of a paisley patterned shirt. Yeah. So it's like a deep, a deep red and a, and a harsh black and just basically like the sort of Rorschach um, tests, sort of blobs all over it in red. Is that fair? It's uh, not an insult. I'm just it's saying. certainly not an insult. No, I, I take it. Um, <clears throat> I'm a big fan of psychology, obviously. So I want to reflect that in yeah, my clothing. Love Bloody love it, yeah. mate. Uh, no, it's, it's predominantly black. It's basically kind of got sort of abstract red flowers on it. Yeah, it's just a nice shirt. I thought it was a bit nicer than wearing another full of hell long sleeve. Yeah, I mean, you know, you've got to diversify in this day and age, mm. and fair play to you because you have done that. Anyway, hey, Sam's here on the show this week, by the way, everyone. Oh, and probably if you've been listening over the last couple yeah. of weeks, you'll you'll know who Sam is. He did a bloody Reading review the other, with us the other day, Reading and Leeds, and Arctangent review. Put up three and a half hours. We did that, didn't we, Sam? Yeah. Me and you chatting about festival-based stuff. That was a good time. Yeah, it was a lovely time. Nice to sort of. I don't know. Consider the time that was had, and uh, the two very very different experiences as well. Um, yeah, and makes me think, oh, next year I might try and do even more festivals, but <laughs> we'll see. I mean, after this year, maybe not. I'm still bloody knackered from them. Festivals are over for the year. Although saying mm. that in Salisbury, up the road from me, there's a festival this weekend and the fucking Pixies are headlined on Saturday and it's I only found out about it last night. Shit. And it's literally like 20 minutes up the road from me. Mm. But they're playing this Saturday and unfortunately I can't go on the Saturday because I'm going to. And I tell you, we might, if you fancy it, we might talk about this this week. Let us know, listener. Zzz, listeners plural um i'm going to the clash at the castle the first world wrestling federate they call the world anyway wwe event since SummerSlam 92 which i also went to 30 years ago so i can talk about that i don't really know much about wrestling that much no big men having a fight like bit bit of you in it big fan big fan i mean working <laughs> working in the pubs in leicester i see quite a lot of it so yeah it's good man well, fair. I mean, I'm going to do that. But anyway, that's that's for next week. Let's not fucking dwell on that because I might tell you all about it next week. But this week, we're going to be talking about various things. It's been quite a dramatic week in the world of music since mm. I've got back from Reading. Lots of sort of dramatic things have happened. And uh, there's new music from the Callous Dowboys from JID or J-I-D or Jiddy. Still haven't really worked out exactly how you pronounce that gentleman's name. And 156 Silence. And... 
um, looking for a kind of hook and a little thing to talk about. We're just going to try and find interesting things to talk about at the end of the podcast going forward. I know it's exactly, if you're listening to this podcast the day that it went out, it is 34 years to the day since the Amnesty International Human Rights Now concert tour started. So we're going to be talking about that particular tour and how sort of unique and uh, challenging it was and also just talking about the sort of history and the future of the benefit concert because it was a big thing back in the day it's not such a big thing these days in the similar sort of way to to what it was so we're going to be chatting about that towards the end of the show should say a big thank you to our sponsors over at arc tangent i mean as we said we just put a full review with sam uh, and myself, more Sam, because I didn't actually go. But Sam uh, went to Arctangent. You go to arctangent.co.uk forward slash tickets. I'm on the website now. I've been doing a lot of like, I think you can buy a ticket. But um, you can. Wednesday the 16th of August, 2023, at midday, according to their uh, <laughs> their website here. On Fernhill Farm, Arctangent, it's confirmed. It's happening. You can buy tickets for next year's festival right now. They're from £117. Although I believe if you put in Riot Act ATG in the checkout, you'll get 10% off of that ticket, which would mean three days, well, four days, in fact, didn't it? Because they've added that mm. kind of pre-festival day, which had like St. Pierre Snake Invasion and Sugar Horse and good shit. Oh, great shit. On, yeah. On that first day. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, there's some festivals that have lineups less good than that on their proper days. You know, it was, it was a cracking good time. Yeah, good. So, you know, it's four days, £117. You get 10% off. So 10% off of 117 you're looking at, what's that going to be like? Well, it's going to be uh, seven, about £17, isn't it? Yeah. Well, £11.70, £11. I think. Yeah, Sorry, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm fucking mad. I'm not yeah. here to do maths. Um, so, you know, look, that would knock it down to a mere £105, which I think is pretty fucking good going. You think that's less than the cost of half a harry styles ticket oh is it i you know what Un- su- surprisingly despite my great love of the man himself i've not even looked at tickets for his tour i had a little nose because they go on sale well today if you listen to this podcast i mean and i thought oh harry styles at wembley stadium might be a nice evening out uh and i looked at the tickets and i was like fucking hell they're expensive uh so i might just go to art tangent twice <laughs> and uh, why would you can yeah. do yeah exactly um so there you go thanks very much to art tangent for their continuing support of the podcast that's very nice of you also should say what with this as we record um being the first of september obviously it's going into september now i think it has just taken that kind of free month where we didn't charge you where we didn't put anything on the patreon page it's kind of li- i've looked this morning it's lifted itself i didn't take the thing off so i can either put it back on and say hey you get another month free or could start trying to put new content out on our patreon page so patreon.com forward slash right act podcast is where you can sign up won't have been charged for the last month um but then if you want to continue supporting i think from now on i'm going to try and put as much up on the patreon page as i possibly can which would mean right here's reviews every week for any amount of money we last one we did was me and sam talking about lawnmower death Oh, God, so we're yeah, it was. try and probably do something a bit better <laughs> than that next time. Uh, but there are loads over there already from Nick Cave, Bonnevere, Type of Negative, Neutral Milk Hotel, Natural Born Killers, Screaming Trees, Them Crooked Vultures, This Girl, Candlebox, Biffy Clyro, a Funeral Friend, Paul Simon, Ash, Thrice, Miles Davis, Tears for Fears, Pop Will Eat Itself, 
Dinosaur Junior, Craftwork, Alters of Plagues, Death Grips, Incubus, loads, loads over there. And if you want to sign up for the £5 a month tier, you get two classic albums a month. And I'm going to try and carry on doing that. I'm going to say, in fact, Sam will be joining me for a pick of mine. And coming in the next week or so, I should say, we're going to have another classic album. And I have picked Three Feet High and Rising by Della Soul as the classic album comeback. So I'm really, really looking forward to doing that. Have you checked that album out yet, Sam? I have several times, yes. Um, yeah, I listen, well, I listened to it about three times on Monday of this week as we record uh, alone. Um, yeah, definitely an interesting one to talk about, at the very least. I think there's going to be a yes. lot to mine on that one. Oh, fucking loads, mm. absolutely loads. And if that's not your bag, don't worry, we've got a load of other classic albums that are already up. Depeche Mode, Guns N' Roses, Pink Floyd, Opeth, Metallica, Gallows, Blur, R.E.M., Neil Young, Smashing Pumpkins, The Specials, Pearl Jam, Block Party, Meshuggah, Lauren Hill, Shiga Ross, Glassjaw, Baroness, Joy Division. Loads, loads and loads and loads of stuff uh, over there. So that is patreon.com forward slash Riot Act podcasts. Do go over and give us a little follow and uh, a look if you fancy it. Um, so before we get into the music that we've been listening to this week, there's been some stuff that <laughs> has been happening. Um, and I think we'll start with the fucking <sighs> shitty, depressing one first. Why not start at the bottom and sort of mine our way upwards mm. scott kelly has announced his retirement from music that in itself would be uh, a sad thing for anyone who's a fan of scott kelly's work obviously i mean i've spoken about neurosis a lot over the years big fan of certain you know particular certain period of neurosis music i'm a really big fan of and i mean you know have a lot of respect for neurosis um you picked through silver and blood it's one of your 20 favorite albums ever made absolutely a few weeks ago and you know um we've always been very vocal about how much we like scott kelly and his work and various things but he has put a personal statement out uh, on his Facebook page um, saying that he's engaged with emotional, financial, verbal and physical abuse of my wife and younger children um, before going on to basically say that he's not going to play music anymore and uh, he's going to kind of concentrate on trying to better himself as a human being. Uh, it's rare that somebody sort of cancels themselves mm. in this manner isn't it absolutely yeah i mean it's um it, incredibly shocking uh not not just the news but even the sort of the method through which we've found out about what's been going on um it, yeah it's not it's not a traditionally done thing is it i mean obviously um feels like <laughs> every few weeks there's some sort of abuse allegation against someone uh in some form of celebrity whether it's a kind of cult musician or high-ranking film star or whatever uh or high-profile film star i should say um yeah i think scott kelly's decision to out himself in this um interesting i think is the word um i've seen a lot of people i think rightly saying that you know he doesn't 
deserve to be commended or applauded for it and obviously you can make your own mind up how you feel about him I suppose taking the initiative um I'm sure we'll get onto it. It's quite interesting to look at the band, uh, the the rest of Neurosis's assessment in their statement about the um the matter. Yeah. So to kind of follow on for that, um, you know, uh, Kelly has said 100% permanently retired from being a professional musician. Uh, Neurosis have responded with a lengthy statement of their own, um, which you can read again on their Facebook page. I think they put it up on Twitter as well. Mm. Um, and they've said uh they are it's disgust and disappointment Mm. um they actually said that scott kelly was relieved from his duties in the band at the end of 2019 says as a band we parted ways with scott kelly at the end of 2019 after learning about severe acts of abuse he committed towards his family over the previous years in the past scott disclosed his marital difficulties and acts of verbal abuse as well as his intention to get help and change his behaviors the information we learned back in 2019 made it clear scott had crossed a line and there was no way back we did not share this information out of respect for his wife's direct request for privacy and to honor the family's wish not to let their experience become gossip in a music magazine with scott's facebook post of august 27 2022 disclosing much of this information publicly we can finally say what we believe needs to be said usually we would we would view public openness and honesty about mental health and illness as brave and even productive we just don't believe that is the case here there's nothing brave about systematic systematically abusing your wife and children there is nothing brave about confessing wrongdoing when you have not done the work to change your behavior so this to me um is an essential component in sort of understanding uh more of exactly what's gone on mm. here because i think you could look at what's happened with scott kelly and go ah uh, he's come out of this and gone i've been bad i'm not bad anymore i'm going to try and mend my ways etc I think that's sort of how he's tried to to paint mm. it. And whilst on one hand, I think you're right, you don't deserve any credit for getting to that place in the first place. My initial reaction was like, well, let's hope that he is able to redeem himself. I think that's different from going, good for you, you've mm. owned up to it. I think that is I think I want to make a very clear distinction between those two things by the way because I don't think it's as easy as fuck that guy forever fuck him he's a cunt like no 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 blah 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 or oh you know good he's owned up I think there is a third option which is go and do that thing then Mm. go and actually do the thing that you need to do go away um you've owned up to it that you're a like that's fuck if what you're saying is true you're fucking uh, you're not a good dude and become a good dude i think you should at least you gotta leave the door open a crack to go in terms of you as a musician and an artist and stuff like that's gone now and it's none of it's none of my business what happens after this this is about scott kelly and his wife and his family and whatever they choose to do i can just go well do you know what i hope your wife and kids are now are going to be safe and fine within the the family unit if you, if you continue to be a part of it. And I don't think that's sitting on the fence or flip-flopping at all. I think that's just um, 
weighing up all the information that you have that's what that's how i felt about it initially i don't know how you felt sam um i mean initially my my, my initial reaction was blimey you know um really shocked to see him sort of own up to you know quite a horrific um experience that he's um that he's admitted to putting his his wife and his children through um i don't think i was ever quite at the uh oh fair play to him stage but i did think okay i think i was broadly of a similar mind to you in that you know it seems like it's him coming out of the other side of a horrendous situation that he's imposed on other people but he was at least trying to uh, make it clear that he was making steps towards some sort of rehabilitation and hopefully uh, creating an atmosphere where his wife and his children can heal that relationship uh, to whatever extent they may or may not want to um but then i think since neurosis's statement coming out and their kind of unequivocal um absolute uh, almost refutation of his statement because you know what they're saying is that they had been aware of this for some time and it feels i don't know it's difficult because i don't want to be like they said in their um in their statement in terms of um scott kelly's wife's wishes you know you don't want it to be sort of conjecture in music magazines and online debates where there's absolutely no nuance and you know people just making up their minds and a hard line position on everything i don't know based on what they're saying i mean if if they were made aware of this in 2019 it does feel an odd thing that it that his kind of confession should come out now um and yeah. Well, this is what I think. I think it makes it seem like something was about, he was about to get Something out. was going to happen and it feels like he's kind of headed it off. And I, I do also wonder, yeah. um, having sort of, I don't know, seen, ver- seen, read, heard various accounts of victims of abuse and stuff. I mean, you, one wonders quite how sincere um, his statement is. I mean, I don't doubt that he feels what he says but i think yeah perhaps the motivations for posting it uh, may be a bit more of a gray area um but yeah i mean it's it's just a really horrible situation for <laughs> for the kelly family isn't it you know i mean i can only only imagine what his wife and children have been through i just hope that they are in a safer position now that the world's kind of privy to some sort of truth in the matter mm. yeah i mean not the only neurosis were not the only people to kind of to 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 actually comment on it i mean i think there was somebody in um another one of his bands i can't i've actually not got uh, i believe it was me. someone from absent in body the um super group kind of thing he formed this year or was part of this year yeah 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 so um who said you know he's been acting really weird and he just sort of cut all ties with them and th- it seems like he's you know um kind of trying to cover his own back a little bit here um Mm. but if it is to inspire i mean look at the end of the day this isn't my business and it's not your business it's not any of you listening to business either right Mm. you are free to go well i'm not listening to neurosis again you are free to go god that sounds really really bad um when it comes to you know what happens in the aftermath of this it's really none of our business anymore scott kelly's not a musician anymore mm. it will be up to his family to decide whether or not they want to forgive him or whether or not he does the the thing that he he says he intends to do um and we'll never find out about that i think neurosis kicking him out in 2019 and then also but keeping it quiet mm. you know at the supposed i um, have no reason to doubt that 
you know that's true at the supposed request of the family again it goes to show that not everything is um necessary for public consumption i it's kind of what i think i think this is a sort of this is an interesting thing because it's obviously really horrible <laughs> like mm. really really fucking horrible but at the same time um i think the fact that it has been going on for so long in terms of scott kelly's actually his removal from neurosis and you know his and us not us as fans and public not having any knowledge of it i think it's an interesting thing that it sort of shows that i i don't think it's for, for a lot of the time i really don't think it's any of our business and when people are like oh you know you shouldn't be supporting abusers and blah 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 and all this sort of stuff it's like yeah you shouldn't but you all have been you all have been we all do every single one of us you are right now you are right now you're listening to music by someone who's fucking horrible trust me you are so for me um i would prefer to stay uh not even neutral is not really the word but i would prefer to hear this news and just go well that's really none of my fucking business mm. like he's gone now do i want to listen to neurosis at the moment not at the moment really no has it ruined neurosis for me probably not probably not um i don't think i don't listen to neurosis loads or you have to be in a real that kind of mood to listen to neurosis and again like i don't think they're the sort of band where i think that much about the individual members when i listen to it so yeah i mean will will neurosis come back and be, be a band after this i mean probably not you know they said no. themselves like they actually said in their statement our life's work has been sort of tainted but that's mm. the least important thing here and i think it's important important to remember like yeah that is the least important thing here and actually it's probably better for people like us i mean i know we're bringing it up just because it's big news and you know it's i think it's unique in a way and it has been put out into the public sphere in this manner by the people involved um so i think we're sort of fine to to talk about it mm. i don't think we're going to be doing any neurosis classic albums for like <laughs> i i'd be surprised yeah <laughs> like maybe ever um because it's it's difficult to when you actually sit down and go through the context and the people involved it is hard to kind of um to look past that mind you you know i was tweeting about how much i like michael jackson the other day so mm. like it's hard it's it's hard to know you know like there's this the, the, it's uh, we, we said it so many times there's this kind of amorphous unspoken weird rule about what is like just you know like it's up to everybody to make their own individual minds up about the music and how about how they feel about scott kelly but at this point really um my hope is that his family are, are all right more than him obviously like oh, it's more yeah. important that his family who've obviously suffered for decades through his kind of emotional and physical torment there if if him becoming a if him actually going away and and quitting music and becoming a better person makes his family's life better and they forgive him then fine i mean like it's got nothing to do with me yeah absolutely i think that's the absolute bottom line is um this doesn't 
concerned. I was like, we can have our, our own reactions to it. And as you say, you know, there's the, the constant discussion about where you separate the art from the artist. And, you know, if you want to go and listen to Through Silver and Blood or Times of Grace or whatever today, I mean, I, you know, I don't think anyone has any right to chew you out for it because you, you can only make your own decisions um, in terms of how you approach this thing that's kind of extraneously removed from the people involved in some way you know music and art does take on such a life of its own once it's released into the public and you make your own opinions on you have your own interpretations of it you know, it means different things to different people for me you know we, we all have a different line somewhere i mean so funnily enough a few weeks ago talking about the um the heavily inverted commas pantera reunion um, I've listened to Pantera for the first time since uh, the Dime Bash incident recently, and it wasn't something I thought I was ever right. necessarily going to reconcile in my own head. And I know it's a very different thing, but um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I can't see myself listening to them anytime soon. And uh, yeah, that's uh, going to be a difficult one um, as as an individual, uh, given that I look down and always see the artwork from Through Silver and Blood on my forearm. So. That's a yeah. fun one. Yeah. Be careful yeah. about the tattoos you get, ladies and gentlemen. I'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But like I say, you know, uh, I mean, you can get on your high horse mm. about this sort of stuff as much as you want. But trust me, you are listening to the music of you are you are openly, outwardly championing the music of somebody who you hugely disagree with right now. You just got to accept the fact that you are. And and even if you know you th- even if you think that you don't you know you know you do. we we all know so little about the artists whose products we're consuming you know I think it was Greg Pucciato who I think well to my mind put it best where he said you only see ten percent of a an actual person when they're on stage and it's like we don't know anything about the people who are making the stuff that we love really and when you listen to Neurosis. <sighs> you know i'm not entirely shocked that somebody with uh who can sort of drag that level of darkness out Mm. of their their psyche might have had some kind of problems that's not to say that's true you know like like i said i've I've met death metal black metal musicians who have been fucking lovely before absolutely fucking lovely and you know i'm gonna they've been very very nice i i interviewed scott kelly once Mm. And he came across really nicely. You just don't know. Do yeah. I mean, you just do not know. I've I've interviewed people before who have been pretty fucking horrible. And then, you know, just because they're shitty with me doesn't necessarily make them a, a horrible, but a bad person. They just didn't, then we didn't get on or whatever. And yeah, and I think, you know, this sort of, I've said it loads of times, this continual sort of obsession with, the personality of the person who hits the the bits of the strings on the bits of wood that and the sound and you like the sound that comes out of it this constant obsession as to like who and what they are like i, I just i don't really understand it i just don't really i just don't really understand it so um you know maybe just don't put those people on a pedestal in the first place and you won't get so upset when they let you down would be my advice um uh, we should probably also mention like win butler from arcade fire it's not a similar thing at all but he has come out and made a statement after some allegations um came out about him which is basically a lot of i've learned from my mistakes i want to become a better person i'm sorry if i've hurt anyone and blah 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 uh 
they've been taking off some radio stations, mm. Arcade Fire. At the moment, I don't really know what's going on, so I'm just going to ignore that, really. That's fine. And um, let's move on. <laughs> let's actually move on to something a little bit different. This is definitely not as bad, but it's pretty fucking annoying. So I had tickets to the Fugees a little while ago, uh, about a year ago, wasn't it? And yeah, yeah. There is speculation that the 25th anniversary Fuji's tour was cancelled not due to COVID-19 concerns, as we originally thought, but because of Praz's ongoing legal issues, that he was well laundering money, basically. It's in a money laundering scheme. Um, allegedly mastermind the theft of poor 4.5 billion US dollars. Bloody hell. Into his own personal accounts. So, um, <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't need to tour if you got that, would you? No. <laughs> uh, apparently, um, uh, I mean, it's not that much from. No. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's not. But it's, it's alleged the indictment that Pras facilitated the transfer of approximately $21.6 million into the US for the purpose of funneling significant sums of money into the United States presidential election. I mean, it gets, that's, <laughs> it gets weirder and weirder, doesn't it? That it is. Well, like, what a weird thing. Truly bizarre. Yeah. Um, I didn't realise it had anything to do with kind of profiteering from elections. That's a very, um, very interesting twist in the tale, isn't it? Yeah. And apparently he's been paid um, around $8 million and was promised an additional $75 million if he could stop a Department of Justice in, in investigation um, into uh, 1MDB. So, I mean, that's absolutely mad. Absolutely mad. Like, how has the bloke who sung Ghetto Superstar <laughs> got fucking wrapped up in this shit? It's absolutely fucking nuts. That is mental. And if that is the reason... <laughs> <laughs> the Fuji's didn't tour. I'm like, oh, fucking hell. So he's not been allowed to leave the country. Wow. Which is why the Fuji's had to, you know, cancel their tour. Lauren Hill does not deserve this. Oh, the poor woman, just honestly. <laughs> Has anyone ever been more fucked over in their career than Lauren Hill? In any career than Lauren Hill? Like, She's had the shittest fucking luck with people, yeah. just with the people that she's been with and with the label and like every single fuck like out of the two of them because I have Wycliffe and Praz. I mean, I was like, well, Wycliffe's an arsehole. but Praz always used to sort of you know he was useless in the Fujis, but he used to stick up for Lauren Hill. He was like the, absolutely the fucking Deadwood, but he was always like, oh, you know, I'm on Lauren Hill's side, I'm on Lauren Hill's side, and now he's done this. It's like, mate. <laughs> You were the only, you were the last man standing that didn't try and fucking decimate Lauren Hill's career. No wonder she's got fucking mental health problems. Like, it, what the, why? Why? I, I, I couldn't tell you. This is honestly, this is one of the more, most bizarre sort of music stories I think I've ever heard. Like, uh, it, it's yeah, really weird. Absolutely bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, it's so fucking weird and I just think like Lauren Hill it's like do a bloody solo tour your solo stuff's better than the film oh anyway. definitely just do, yeah. a, just do a fucking solo tour that's that's what I would like to see 
Um, come on, Lauren. Yeah. Do something nice for come Steve. On, Lauren. Do something nice for me. <laughs> I would I would love that. Um, also, I should say, we did review Reading last week. We didn't mention that <laughs> tents were being burnt. Um, uh, people showing videos like mm. after the festival. Um, several tents being set on fire on the Sunday and objects being thrown and fights breaking out. And, you know... This has been going on at Reading for... God, when was the first time I remember this shit happening? Um, I vaguely recall um, a, f- a family member of mine uh, telling me that he was at the first one where it happened. I think it was I- It was either... It's like 2002 or three. I think, off the top of my head, sort of around then. Although it may have preceded that. I don't know. I think it might have been 2002 because did Slip Slipknot played that year, didn't they? Yeah. Slipknot played the Sunday in two, on 2002. And yeah, that was the last time that I went. And I went early that day. I think I watched Trailer Dead and I was like, right, I don't... Uh, I watched a bit of The Prodigy and then I watched Trailer Dead and then I was like, right, I'm going to go home now. And so I missed all the drama. Mm. And, um, you know, they got a load of grief for it then. People, people have got oh, it's that bloody Woodstock '99 documentary. Yeah. Everyone's seen that, and they've gone, oh, let's, "Let's do this." But this has been going on for for quite some time, and it's a shame actually because I was just going on about how how nice the atmosphere mm. was at Reading in the review. So I didn't, I didn't, you know, see or hear any of this. I didn't experience any of this. I didn't really experience. I didn't see anything that was kind of agro-y at all at Reading Festival. And so I'm quite surprised. I mean, maybe, you know, I don't know if a 16-year-old would start on a six-foot-four grown man. I'm not sure if that would happen <laughs> anyway. So maybe that's got something to do with it. But I don't know. But, yeah, it's a shame that. It's a real shame because I was properly like, oh, I had a really good time. Mm. I had a really good time at Reading. It was great. And everyone would seem like, you know, they were just having fun. And then I got back home and I woke up in the morning and I saw that and I was like, oh, all right. Well, not everyone, <laughs> obviously. Um, none of that Arctown Gento Sam, presumably. Well, it just hasn't made it online yet, so you'll you'll find out. You'll find out. <laughs> uh, no, I I would like to say for the record, nothing bad happened at Arctown Gent. It was a lovely, lovely time, and everyone was very, very nice. That's good. Yes. That's good to know. Uh, all right, cool. The last thing I was going to talk about, which you know is something that we've actually been following this story for a little while now, and it seems. Like the Danny Filth, Cradler Filth, sorry, Cradler Filth, Ed Sheeran collab is absolutely going to happen. Some of it is finished. Um, Danny actually did an interview with Notfest and said, we have still yet to finish our song with Ed Sheeran. He's done some of it, but then he had a baby and then he obviously got sidetracked with that and he's doing whatever Ed does, which is playing massive shows around the globe. He's not our beck and call, but he's going to finish it. He assures me. Actually, I spoke to him quite recently. It will be released when it's finished. We don't know when it's coming out. Now, this has gone from, ha, wouldn't that be yeah. funny, to, oh, maybe we could actually do that, to, oh, we are actually doing that. This, I I, I never believed it. I was like, oh, no, it won't happen. But it's going to, I think it's going to happen. I think it's actually going to happen. A fucking Ed Sheeran, Cradle of Phil song. Now, after fucking chatting about, you know, Ed and uh, Bring Me Their Eyes on the other day, which seems like a much sort of more comfortable fit mm. for the for the two of them really like this is a fucking what this is fucking wild shit i can't wait to hear this i think i mean don't i can't imagine it's gonna be that good, <laughs> but i am fucking stoked to hear it 
yeah, man, it's definitely going to be interesting at the very least. It'll be um, perhaps a curio that kind of gets lost to time, although being Ed Sheeran, I mean, it's going to be absolutely massive and loads of people are going to hear it. Um, yeah, it's going to be a weird one. I hope it opens the door for more pop and extreme metal collaborations. Go on, hit me with something you'd like to see. Uh, well, obviously, Beyonce and Al Nathrak would be a really good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can uh, see that Ken- Kendrick and uh, Sanguish Suga Bog. Quite good. <laughs> uh, Little Mix featuring a Ranzi Pazuzu. Oh, yeah, mate. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Megan the Stallion and Napalm Death. Megan the Stallion and Napalm Death. Um, oh, God, what else would be good? I'm trying to I'm trying to think of what the people who could do, like, you know when you put two songs together? Mm. And the, yeah. 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 I good. mean, I would have had Dave <laughs> and Neurosis. If, a week ago, I would have said Dave, oh, Dave and Neurosis going, Tiago through Silver in Blood. But, Ooh. I mean, I'll strike that from the record now because... Yeah. Of Scott Kelly being an old fucking cunt, but um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens when it comes out. Look, quite looks like it's going to be a, an actual thing. Brilliant. Uh, let's talk about a few records really quickly before we get into any of the other stuff. Uh, we'll start by chatting about Celebrity Therapist, the new album from the Callus Dow Boys, the second full-length album from the Dallas Dallas Dallas. That was a real big lisp there. I do okay. I've got what's called a, a whispering S. So my old drama teacher, dialect coach, used to tell me. But that was a full-blown yeah. suffering succotash. What I just did then. Dallas. Uh, <laughs> Dallas-based math metal oddities. The follow-up to 2019's Die on Mars album, which we were pretty nice about back in the day mm. on this podcast. Um, what did you think of... Did you listen to that record at all? You've ever listened to this band? I, I did indeed, yeah. I listened to Diane Mars when it came out. I think probably as a result of the um, the exceedingly positive review that uh, was given on Riot Act back in the day. Um, yeah, I remember really enjoying it, but it's one of those strange albums where I was like, at the time, thought, this is absolutely brilliant. This has got to be sort of an end-of-year contender for me. And I don't think I went back to it after the week of release, to be honest. Remember thoroughly enjoying really? it, but can't really recall loads of it off the top of my head. Yeah, I mean, I'm sort of in a similar boat, to be honest. I remember thinking, eh, it's good, this. It was really good. And and it was, you know, and and, and mm. sort of, I had a quick buzz through it. Because it's not very long. I mean, that's a good thing no. about this stuff, is that you can just fucking buzz through it. And again, this is not a particularly long album, Celebrity Therapist. It sort of weirdly feels longer. But I think it feels longer because it's just broader. And, mm. uh, and I, you know... <laughs> When I heard Vane the first time, Vane were the first time, when that Vane gift from God split EP came out, and I was like, yeah. this is metallic, hardcore, mathy, hardcore, in the, in the, you know, pardon the pun, vein of the stuff that I used to fucking love when I was about 19 to 23 odd, which is obviously, we were talking about Botch last week, Botch and Converge and Poison the Well and Drowning Man and you know, Dillinger and, and all of those bands. You know the bands that I'm talking about. And I was like, how cool is it that this and Callis Dowboys and Frail Body and um, I guess like Helpless a little bit, although they're more of a grindcore band. There's somebody else who's doing this sort of thing as well. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah, 156 Silence that we're going to talk about in a little bit. Um, yeah. uh, but there were a load of bands who were sort of very much leaning in on that particular thing that really, really sounded like... N- 98 to 2002 underground equal visions uh revelation records hardcore stuff and i was like great 
But then, very much like you, I think maybe it's because I remember that stuff from first time around. I just heard it and went, oh, it's so good to hear people doing this again. And then just never listened to it after that. And then if I did ever mm. fancy that stuff, I'd put on like Rock and Roll Killing Machine again or, you know, El Diablo or something. Do you know, and that, that's kind of where I'd go with it. So I'm, I think I'm, for this sort of thing, I've got to a point really where I, I'm glad and appreciative that people still want to play music like this, but I feel like I was there for the, the fucking real like high level best time yeah. that it was around. You were at the golden era. I you, yeah, like, there is it happened. Birth, yeah, of that stuff. Mm. Um, so yeah, so I'm quite glad that this record doesn't really sound like this. I do think this is a much broader record. It's still got the mad as fuck time signatures. It's still got the super heavy metallic sound to it. It's got some brutal shit on it. It's got some wild shit on it. But it's got some very surprising things on it as well. And when I first heard them, and I was like, yeah, early Dillinger in it. That's what it is. Mm. But this draws much more on stuff like Bungle, Phantomers, even the weirder bits of System of a Down, which I think mm. is cool. I don't know if the people who are more purist about this stuff will think it's too broad. But for me personally, I'm delighted to see the influence of stuff like pop punk, synthwave, emo, if you like, um, indie rock, dream pop, all that kind of stuff be just chucked in the mix a little bit. Mm yeah i mean for me um i think the big the first mega surprise on the album and you know it starts off absolutely maddeningly you know in that kind of yeah early dillinger the chariot kind of frenzied frenetic mathy stuff um but when you get to the song title track um kind of starts off with this quiet like orchestral and synthesized sort of ambient stuff then it goes for the dillingery charity kind of thing um but then uh, towards the middle of the song you get this kind of clean vocal passage that i thought <laughs> It was such a weird about turn. It could have fit quite neatly on some of the lighter glass jaw material. Uh, or last, it would fit in with lighter glass jaw material. But it also made me think of Fallout Boy, like early Fallout Boy. But um, I mean, don't get me wrong. Carson Pace is a much better vocalist than bloody Patrick Stump, um, who is rubbish. Which I have put in my notes in parentheses. He is rubbish. Um, yeah, <laughs> is Patrick Stump rubbish? I think so. I think he's a good singer, but like, I, I think Patrick Stump is a very good vocalist. I think he's in a, like, a, a, a deeply upsetting band. But, um, <laughs> but I think he is a, I think he is a good, I think he's a good vocal. I actually think Patrick Stump's a very good vocalist. I don't, I mean, is he? Don't think he even he's not a lyricist, is he? He's not actually a lyricist because <laughs> Pete, uh, Pete Wentz, Pete Wentz does most uh, of it, doesn't he? Does yeah. all of it, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if he's a good lyricist. I mean, he can't be that good because if he's letting no. Pete Wentz write what he writes and not going, <laughs> I'm not singing that. I'll write something better than that. Then, yeah, I would imagine he's not that good. But, uh, she, I mean, we're going off track a little bit here. Yeah. I think yeah. Patrick Stump's a good... I just that, I thought I'd throw that in. I, even though I don't like Fallout Boy, I do think Patrick Stump is a good... is a technically good vocalist. Technically good, yes. No, they're quite all right. Uh, you, you, you surprised me. But, um, yeah, uh, anyway, going back to title track, I mean, I think that, again, for me, that's the one where the first as I say, the real surprises start to come in because um, towards the end of the song, you've got these clean guitar passages that I think are very system of a down. They've got that kind of Byzantine, slightly off-kilter feel to them. It made me think of debut album era system, for sure. Um, 
I think uh, perhaps the most kind of concise uh, example of their absolutely maddening eclecticism at times is the final track, Star Baby, which for me, I'd say is the highlight of the record. So it starts out with a kind of, you know, classic 4-4 stomp and this rumbling bass. But then when the drums start breakbeating, and it's almost like a dance mathcore track. Oh, absolutely beautiful. And then, of course, gets to this incredible, like, rousing, massive stadium, like, light is in the air chorus that sees the album out. It's... so bizarre. I mean, it's an album that definitely takes a fair few listens for you to even get your head round before you can start enjoying it. It's, yeah. yeah. I, I am absolutely on board with that. Star Baby is comfortably the best song on the record, I think. Mm. Comfortably the best song by being a completely different song from, from anything else on the record. I mean, yeah. even by the addition of the other little things, I think like, you know, Field Pack Sobriety has got some dream pop focus on it which and, and the, the riffs that go alongside that. They're just so chalk and cheese that it somehow mm. works in a really, really um, in a great way. You've got like pure punk at the start of The Elephant Man in the Room and then it sort of turns into Bjork and then it goes into like a creeper song with like piano, kind of gothy piano and drama and mm. then it goes full kind of jazzy for La Troy. And, you know, there's like the penultimate songs a little bit too just straight down the line, deathcore stroke, mathcore thing. Um, a brief article regarding time loops has this um, that I really like the way they use like, in the same way as um, Snooze Button by Snot. I don't know if anyone is familiar with that song. I don't know if you're familiar with that song. I can't say I am, I'm afraid. Okay, no. but Snooze Button by Snot starts with a, with a riff that is joined up with uh an alarm going off and they do that hmm, and it's yeah. really really cool and they do that on this i think it's really good and you know there's things like beautiful dude missile sounds like dylan's escape plan by way of hundred gex it's got a bit hey nonny nonny bit in it as well as on the yeah. power metal at one point i mean the start of that is it, it's panasonic youth isn't it like it yeah. does sound like panasonic youth it so. really does yeah. in a very very good way that is absolutely compliment yeah in a great way but that last song mm. managing to kind of channel some sort of mad mathcore panic at the disco <laughs> loads of sax massive pop hooks and yet still sounding kind of crazy like i think sometimes these bands will go we'll put a pop song towards the end we'll put a kind of emo-y pop punky something a bit more melodic we'll go for a kind of radio song and i think it's cool that Callistow boys have gone we're going to do that but we're going to do that our way mm and you could fall flat on your fucking ass by doing that because if you tried to go oh we're going to write a pop song that's going to have loads of like weird mathy time signature bits and sort of broad as fuck like odd shit in it as well and that that is a really difficult stylistic tightrope to walk without falling off of i think for sure for sure but the fact that they've done that is well impressive and i think it means for me it's the only song which is truly catchy, truly mm. like one listen. Like you say, a few listens before you start getting your head around it. It's the one song that when you listen to the album first time round, I was listening to it and I was going, now this is cool. It's quite a lot. But that last song, I was like, first listen, this is fucking awesome. Fucking awesome. So yeah, I think that's definitely the best song. And I expect that to close their set. They'd be nuts to not close their set with that song. They would be nuts not to. But I mean, I think one of the things um, about this album that I really, really admire is I think 
it does take a fair few listens to really get your head round before you can start enjoying it properly. Like I think you'd enjoy it in a kind of like, oh, this is mental. This is a bit a bit of fun, isn't it? Um, but I think the fact that they have got so many sort of disparate genres and elements and styles and aesthetics and everything, and they've managed to put them together in a way that I think a more cynical person would say they're being weird for the sake of weird. But actually, I don't know. There's something about the feel of the album where it's like they know exactly what they're doing and they're doing it to probably piss the right people off. I think they're quite contrarian in their approach to kind of <laughs> normal song structures um for lack of a better term so i do wonder if star baby might just end up being plonked in the middle of the set even though it absolutely should be an end of the night song yeah i mean if i was them i wouldn't want to play something after that no after that ending there's not really any following it is it no i think they'd be i think they'd be cutting off not just their nose. I think they'd be cutting off their face to spite their face <laughs> if they did that. That would be nuts. But anyway, well, I guess we'll see. I mean, look, it's dead good, this. It's mm. dead good. I think it's got much more of a chance of staying with me than the previous album did. The previous album, which I went, yeah, great, brilliant. I love all this stuff. Oh, look, it sounds just like all these things I like. This does sound much more unique, I think. Yeah. I can't now go oh, well, if I was going to listen to this, I might as well go and listen to fucking We Are The Romans by Botch. Like, I can't do that now because this doesn't sound like that. It sounds like loads of other things as well. So I think they've um, th- they've hooked me in. A lot of people were very excited about this record coming mm. out. And I have to be honest, I wasn't. I wasn't excited at all because, not that I think they're bad, I just wasn't. The idea of going, oh, yeah, it's going to be more mathy stuff. And it's actually a hell of a lot better than I imagined it would be yeah completely agree uh was in exactly the same boat kind of looking forward to it not necessarily on my like most anticipated albums kind of list for the rest of the year but uh yeah pretty bloody flawed by it i think this is a really really strong record that yeah i think i will be revisiting quite a lot more than uh i certainly did with die on mars yeah definitely really 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 will uh it's also i believe it's matt mills who was reviewed the machine album with us uh a week or so back it's his favourite album of the year thus far, I believe. So he had said to me, certainly, that it was his album of the year. I saw a tweet from him, I think, probably about 12, 13, 14 hours ago as we record. He's got four that he's weighing up between. Um, this is one of them. I won't spoil what the others are. I mean, you can go look on his Twitter yourself if you want to. But um, yeah, this is definitely an album that he holds in incredibly high regard. There you go. So if you respect Matt's opinion... Uh, as you should I know when you go and fucking marry him if you respect <laughs> his opinion that much and it, no uh, yeah if you respect Matt's opinion he fucking loves it I mm. think it's 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 really good I was like surprised at how much I enjoyed this Carlos Dowboy's celebrity celebrity uh, therapist celebrity therapist yeah I normally called him celebrity <laughs> celery for a minute which was absolutely not a thing no <laughs> uh celebrity therapist it's called see you later right let's move on to the next speaking of stuff which i don't know how to pronounce <laughs> properly um let's talk about the forever story by jid the third full-length album from the atlanta georgia rapper the follow-up to 2018's dicaprio 2 although like with many rappers He's got plenty of mixtapes and features and EPs and just one-off singles. So, I mean, look, you know, I can't keep up with all that shit. For those not in the know, Jid or J-I-D or Jiddy, we don't know. We still haven't, I still haven't had 
confirmation of I've heard him called all of those things. Mm. Well, he's called all of those things in the first verse of the third song. You know, he's, it, yeah. yeah, it's, you know, J-I-D here, he's Jiddy, he's Jid. It's like, well, that doesn't help me at all as a kind of, you know, slightly curmudgeonly white bloke from Leicester. I watched an interview with him and the person interviewed him went, I'm here with Jid, J-I-D, Jiddy. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. He didn't go, it's... It's this it's one, one yeah. of them. <laughs> so, so if he doesn't know, how the fuck do you need to know? But anyway, anyway. he is a rapper uh, who helped form the Spillage Village Collective back in the early 2010s. He's been signed to J. Cole's Dreamville record label since 2017. He's toured with people like Matt Miller. Um, the biggest song he has in his career is actually a collaboration he did with Imagine Dragons. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, though, he is an artist who gets compared to another artist quite regularly, and that artist is Kendrick Lamar. Mm. I can understand it. I can understand it, like on a kind of base level, basic first impression thing. You go, oh, it's a bit like Kendrick Lamar. Yeah, in some ways, is that fair to say, Sam? Would you say? I think that's fair. I can certainly see that comparison being, um, yeah, as you say, quite an obvious one. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily a bad one, but I think there is a lot more to Jid uh, or JID's music than than just being a kind of, you know, some sort of lesser copy or also ran to um, Kendrick Lamar. Mm. Yeah, I mean, so basically his first introduction to music was listening to his parents' sort of funk and soul records, things like Sly and the Family Stone, and then he got into Wu-Tang Clown, Jay-Z and Mob Deep. And this album as well has quite an electric array of guests. It's got Lil Wayne, 21 Savage, Kenny Mason, and more people as well. And it's a sort of continuation of his first full-length album, The Never Story. And that and this were it's not a concept album but it's a concept album of sorts sort of based on his own personal experiences with his family so it's kind of a sort of storytelling love letter to his upbringing in a lot of ways Mm. so i mean i actually found a quote where he's saying about it it says my family is basically part of how i became who i am it gives inklings it gives inklings i should say of where of why my mindset is a certain type of way i gave more detail and in-depth stories on this album there's still more layers to be peeled back which i'm going to do because this is going to be a long process of trying to understand me this is just a good piece of the origin story and this is me finding that space to be more visible and present with words um which gives you an idea into the sort of the intention behind this record so i wouldn't say this is a a, a thematic album this is a a, an album with a clear thematic bent rather than a concept album Mm. is that would you say that's i'm not barking up the wrong tree there am i would you no i I think you're absolutely right i think yeah it's conceptual rather than a concept there is definitely a through line to all the tracks that holds it together but it's not you know it's not of kingdom and crown it's not about two homicidal maniacs going on a killing spree it's a little bit more grounded than that so yeah i don't know that of kingdom crown is really about that anyway yeah but mm, fine whatever we've already had that conversation um so anyway look i tend to really only bring these sorts of albums in if i think they're fucking great and i think yeah this is really great i mean i can definitely see the link between what his parents used to listen to and how that has infiltrated his work and for me that's a good thing because his parents seem to have pretty fucking good taste Mm. in music i would say uh but what about you sam what are you saying to this um i think this is a really really strong album um 
it's incredibly ambitious. I think almost to the point of perhaps being a little overstuffed at times because it is it is a fairly long record. It's uh, mm-hmm. just over fifty nine minutes. Um, yeah, so fifteen tracks. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And to be fair to his credit, no skits, not no interludes or anything. These are all you know fully composed songs, um, tracks uh, that. They flow together fantastically. Like I think the best thing I can say about this record is the sequencing of it is absolutely fantastic. I think the dynamic ebbs and flows as he does go for the more kind of contemporaneous hip hop styles of the sort of instrumentation that's backing his um his rhymes and stuff compared to the kind of uh, the stuff that clearly does take influence from his parents' record collection. So you get more kind of analog feeling um tape decayed songs i mean uh, can't punk me um featuring earth gang mm. has this sort of double bass line running underneath it and i think it just sounds suave and really really cool and and does it produce uh, does represent an interesting counterpoint to uh the uh, two tracks prior song like dance now uh, with kenny mason um yeah i think this is a really really interesting uh and really impressive album um for me as someone who's not so au fait with a lot of the references kind of musically that um jed's going for here uh i find it a bit bewildering at times and there is a point towards um so after cody blue 31 which i think is in a knife fight with my favorite track on the album i absolutely love that song the real soulful delivery yeah the the soulful the the choir feel of the backing vocals just absolutely brilliant and really grandiose compared to um surround sound which has been before it which is a bit more in the Mm. cool and lackadaisical i'd say it's almost approaching the kind of like mumble rap stuff you know from the it's got a kind of trap beat and it's much more yeah it's definitely kind of behind the beat a little definitely as opposed to the soul thing which is like a bit more a bit more urgent Mm, yeah yeah. urgency definitely thing and um and actually i think one of the things that i'm really impressed with uh is the kind of multifaceted nature of jid's performance himself you know he's able to go for these really cool laid back as you say, sort of just off the beat grooves. Um, but then he can absolutely go kind of apoplectic. I mean, um, Lord of Two, the final song at the end, I think is his most, uh, the final song at the end, obviously. Uh, but I think that's his most kind of diverse performance because it does go from the the loose, um, the loose feeling kind of uh, too cool to really care to absolute, almost like apoplexy in his kind of bark mm. delivery. Um, yeah, I think it's a really cool album. I think for me, there is a little dip um, following Cody Blue, I, I feel like the kind of the four songs after that. So basically, for me, it doesn't really pick back up until Just in Time uh, with Lil Wayne. I really, yeah, personally, that is okay because that's really interesting. Because for me, Cody Surround Sound, uh, well, can't punk me. I think it's great. Yeah, yeah, you're right about Surround Sound. It is a bit more, I guess, moderny trap sounding. That run of Cody Blue, Blue uh, Cody Blue Thirty One, Brudenem, Sustainem, Can't Make Change, and Stars, is the high point of the record. Oh, interesting. I think I love all that shit. So I think Cody Blue Thirty One, you're mm, right, is phenomenal song. Absolutely fucking brilliant. Um, Sustainem is six minutes mm. long, and I think his perform, particularly. I mean, you mentioned his performance and how varied he he can be. I think he's particularly um, diverse sounding on himself, like his flow into some really quite cool melodic parts. I mean, you don't often get, he shows not just, you know, throughout this record shows that 
he can actually sing mm. like he can actually sing you know like he's got a voice uh that is dive you know kind of technically able to if he wanted to not rap you could imagine him being a very pretty i was gonna say pretty good very, very good, good. Soul yeah singer, absolutely think, you know mm. um can't make you change i think is all about the hook from ari yeah. lennox which is great and again I, I mean there's a little kind of guitar part on that which it almost feels like it's not there's I, I, that this little period of the record i think it feels like it's not being sampled it's almost like it's been played in the studio mm. i feel like he's being played by a band and i really really like that and i think um you know stars uh he he, he kind of mentions he kind of when you talk about like his influences and whatnot like you know he, he name checks kanye mm. and he name checks beyonce in it as well and I, I think again that like that just feels like a really great song paying lip service to the shit that he's inspired by so i i like that song as well and it was just in time with little wayne and kenny mason where i was like oh we're back into something which sounds a little bit more modern mm. and i was a little bit less i mean i think he's better at it. like i spoke about polo g the other day and i was like you know i didn't really get it i think he's better than someone like that sure do you know what i mean i think he's de definitely better at doing this thing than someone like that because there's always an undercurrent of acknowledgement to music dating back to the 90s the 70s the 60s the 50s even um so yeah so it did actually it dropped a little bit for me then and it wasn't really until i mean there's a song in it called money mm. um which comes straight after it which i think is but so i say it dipped i mean it dipped for that one song and i think again you mentioned louder too which i think is brilliant um i think money's wicked money yeah. sounds like the theme tune from sesame street <laughs> yeah it's got like yeah. a kid's choir on it and stuff it's really good um so yeah that like just in time was where i i thought it was it reached this massive kind of climax crescendo and then i actually thought it dropped off there so it's interesting to say that you think it's a kind of there's a there's a soft middle and then it kind of ups on i i think for me it's just that um up until that point the record had been so good at kind of diversifying um its approach just when it needed to like i, I can't say enough about um how much i appreciate the sequencing of this because there is that kind of ebb and flow so you know galaxy the kind of in intro track but you've got radar and dance now which i think are the more kind of contemporaneous hip-hop sort of late 2010s early 2020 yeah. stuff then you get crack sandwich and can't punk me and then it kind of you know peaks and troughs in in the stylistic um approach i think for me it is yeah between cody blue and just in time it just sits in the kind of ambient pocket for a little longer than i'd like like i think it's still good i think for me that's just the point where it starts to I don't know, it starts to lose, uh, you know, it, it's not maintaining my interest quite as vigorously as prior. Mm, okay. I mean, I think I just, that's my favourite. I think he's, like I said, I think he's pretty good at everything, but that, mm. what he's doing there is my personal favourite um, stylistic thing. So maybe that's probably got something to do with it. But I think overall, like, this is a very good album. I think you're right to bring up the length. 15 songs in just under an hour. It feels like quite a lot to get through when there's so much mm. of it. But I think there's so much going on throughout the record that it never really it, it it does feel like a long record in the same way i think like callous Dowboys almost feels like a long record even though it's not just because yeah. you go well this must be long because there's so much shit going so on. much in it yeah and this is a similar thing but then it is actually an hour long i can see the kendrick comparisons i mean he's got mm. a flow um that often 
takes you by surprise and i think that's always a, a good thing like i say can he can actually sing he's got mm. a hell of a lot of reverence for old music which i think is great he's very open he's very personal about what's happened in his life what's happened in his you know his youth and stuff like realistically this is some way off doing quite what to pimp a butterfly or mr morale did mm. i think i think it's not they're, they're ten out of ten records, and this is a this is an eight. I think. I, I think that's completely fair. Yeah. yeah. Um. But I think this is a great record. I think it's got loads of dynamics and depth and personality, and it's got all the things you want from a record, really. So I I do I do definitely like it. I think. Yeah. I mean, look, you take that kind of Kendrick comparison with a pinch of salt because, like, it's like when people used to compare Lenny Kravitz to Prince or whatever, and it's like, mm. yeah, I can see it. But obviously he's not as good. And I mean, Lenny Kravitz is nowhere near as good as Prince compared to like how much. <laughs> I'll take. How, yeah. Compared to, you know, how much Jid is definitely, he is close. He is closer to Kendrick Lamar than mm. Lenny Kravitz is to Prince. But in terms sure. of quality, but he's not, he's obviously not as good as that, obviously. But I mean, you know, Kendrick is the high watermark for mm. kind of contemporary artistry at the moment. So I think, you know, yeah. to say, to say Jid's not as good as Kendrick Lamar, I mean, 99% of the planet isn't as good as anything yeah, we, Kendrick Lamar's ever done so like we haven't just gone wow well, Callis Dowboys aren't as good as Dillinger so fuck them yeah. do you know what I mean yeah. so yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I, I think this is a really strong album though I'm really glad that uh, you aspirin this in because it's not something I would have come across on my own it's yeah really really cool I think um, actually just as one final sort of point of comparison with the Kendrick thing I think definitely kind of lyrically they're, they're looking at the introspection and self-reflective thing i feel like this feels a bit more like jid's trying to be a kind of circus ringleader doing absolutely everything whereas i feel kendrick sometimes uh, quite often i think has the the restraint and the nous to sort of step back and let his album kind of grow around him a bit more but yeah mm. great album really really like this yeah it's really good it's called the forever story by jid jid or jiddy uh, all of the above are fine. <laughs> it's out now. Let's go on to our final record that we're going to talk about. 156 Silence Narrative, the third album from the Pittsburgh-based metalcore band, the follow-up to 2020's Irrational Pull. We reviewed that on the show, and we were pretty favourable about it. It felt like there was going to be a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of um, hype and push around this band around that time. And for a minute, they were going to be like the hot new hardcore band. It's just not really happened that mm. much for them i haven't really heard anyone particularly talk about it. it didn't really feel like that album kind of captured people's imagination in the way that i thought it might do which is fine um i haven't really gone back to it that much myself to be perfectly honest because i think it came out not long after underneath by code orange came out mm. and you're not really gonna <laughs> fucking compete with that for with for me unfortunately and then this is a hardcore album and you know we were very very positive about the last vein fm album which came out earlier last uh, this year and this is sort of trying to do that a little bit as well i think mm. yeah i think this is somewhere between the kind of you know all out absolute insane aggro of of a band like vein and where they've gone on their latest album and also kind of got a foot in the more melodic hardcore end so i think um it's not quite as egregious or potentially divisive as them but i think la dispute that kind of area of sort of melodic hardcore touche amore i think as well but then there you know there are moments in their career that i think really set them apart from that whole stable of 
basically hardcore front men who sound like they're about to cry at certain times on their albums. Yeah. Yeah, it's, there's a yeah. bit of that in there. There there's is a bit, a bit of that. Of that. that yeah. and, and that's fine. Oh, you know yeah, I mean? like, yeah. That's a stylistic thing, I think. Uh, it does mean, though, I think what, <laughs> like, reading between the lines, what you're saying is, is this is uh, a, a well-mined... Much of this, I feel, is is a is in areas that have been significantly mined to greater results over the my lifetime. Basically. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, to be honest, Vain, I think, really is on the money. Um, even in terms of the structure of um, narrative, um, I think you know, starting out with so "Past Embrace," I think is a really, really strong opening song. It's just mm-hmm. that beating, muscular, metallic hardcore. Uh, Got some great riffs on it as well. Um, Rodents Race, I think, uh, is a, a solid follow-up. And then kind of as we get further into the album and really around uh, I Am A Fault about halfway through, it's where it starts to get quieter and really drenched in reverb. A bit like Vane did in there in um, This World's Gonna Ruin You earlier this year. And I think this is um, the, the kind of inferior version. Not massively. I don't think there's an absolute chasm in quality, but I think for me Vane did it in a markedly more interesting way particularly when you look at live to see a darker day the final song so we were talking you know talking about callous Dow boys mm. a mere few moments ago well probably quite a long time ago looking at the time code but uh only uh, about 10 12 minutes ago was it oh fair, what whatever, whatever um but yeah the kind of it's the grand opus that metal bands tend to do it's the experimental track at the end um and where Vane had that finale that was predominantly piano and then more of a sort of straightforward 4-4, almost rock song on a hardcore album. I mean, this one, yeah, it's it, it feels surplus to requirement. And it's nearly nine minutes as well. It's really inflating it's the runtime. Fucking long. It's eight minutes yeah. and 52 seconds. And yeah. It, it, like, it's too long. Like, let's not fucking beat around a bush here. It's like you, you 156 Silence, do not need to make a nine minute long song like mm. i hate to fuck it i feel like i bang this drum all the fucking time but i do not understand why you felt the need to do a nine minute long song like mm. you know who in hardcore can i even did dillinger ever have a nine minute long song to converge ever converge have got i mean they've got jane doe the title track which is pretty hefty you know that, yeah. it, that that's a long one but that's kind of an outlier apart from maybe like grimheart black rose or something yeah so so there's not really that many examples of it. And it's probably because most of these bands realise it ain't the best idea. Mm. And I think that 156 Silence um, have maybe sort of... It's a bit fart sniffy, the end of that, I think. And But the thing is, is broadly, like I agree with, with, with what you're saying. You know, it's, it's kind of... To say it's formulaic, like people would not like to hear that, oh, it's formulaic. Um, because that sounds like an insult. Mm. But I think, you know, if you like this sort of thing, if you like hardcore and recently there have been a lot of albums like the like Pupil Slicer mm. and we've obviously mentioned Code Orange a lot and Soul Glow and Vane and there have been a lot of things we go like and we just did Callous Dow Boys and that's quite an undertaking. I think the good thing about this is much like when we spoke about Malevolence and you were like, ah, it didn't really get me. I mean, I think I'd, feel similarly to this as i do about that um that last malevolence album which is like when it's on i'm like this is this is a good time do you know what i mean it's a good time mm. you know like there's a real kind of metal 
stompy like it's got a weird synth part in rodents race along with this metal e thing which is cool um it does feel like what code orange and vein do but in a much more easily digestible way i mean it didn't make me go wow or oh my god or it didn't sort of shock me or surprise me or make me go fucking hell that's crazy like some of those artists ever do but there are a few songs that i really love like mm. to take your place which has got the sort of perturbator bit in it i think is is really cool like making sort of synth poppy stuff with metallic guitars is you know only for about a minute to be fair to you but like it's still really good and this is a good it's a good hardcore album it's a good hardcore album that you will put on and be like yes this is heavy it's the songs are fucking brutal i've i know what's coming i know where i am i know what's going on but it's just very enjoyable if you like this sort of thing Mm. i'm after that i don't really think it hits the heights of the very very best of this stuff if you're going to try and compare it to that but that doesn't necessarily make it a completely unenjoyable record i don't think no not at all there's plenty on it i enjoy i mean to be honest um you know i picked out i am a fault and the the slower reverb you on i think that's the only point of the album that i could actually say oh i'm not mad keen on it i think the rest of it is decent you know it is good to take your place would be the highlight for me as well and i think for me with that i think the best thing about that song is it hits the sweet spot between that kind of brutish aggression and the vulnerability that they are introducing uh particularly on this album um and i think the the clean guitar outro that they've got there when they're trying to do quieter i think that works so much better than the the reverb soaked stuff they'd just done uh one song prior um and i do actually also really like say the phrase the penultimate track i think the kind of electronic throbs at the beginning that are then mirrored by the guitar i think that's really cool and really interesting little idea um yeah i think it's a decent album like and i'd like to stress that because i feel like i tend to come on and just be mean about hardcore even though i bloody love it but um yeah yeah man like um i think 156 silence have done a good job here i think it's a tough week for us to be kind of talking about them compared to the other two albums we've just spoken about really uh, particularly with the Callous Dowboys, yeah. I think making such a huge jump. I mean, what this album doesn't do for me really is make any kind of big forward momentous leap, mm. whereas the Callous Dowboys album has done that. And you know, I think some people will prefer this to the Callous Dowboys album because they'll go, "That record's weird." Mm. And it's too much. Too all over the place. Whereas this record still feels and sounds contemporary for the genre that it exists in, but it's not completely alienating me. So there will be people who will be listening to this podcast who will prefer this record, or well, in, in maybe not to listen to this podcast, but I, I don't know, probably maybe there will be. But like people who will definitely, there will be people that will be like the One Five Six Silence album. Yeah, I take that over the Cast Boys album because Cast Boys album. I don't want to fucking have to think too hard about what the fuck's going on. Mm. And blah blah blah. And that's absolutely fine. Oh, I think yeah. that's, that's a perfectly reasonable stance to take. This record is instantly puts you in a place where you go, I know where I am. I know what's going to happen. I love this shit. Great. Here we go. Mm. This is a load of stuff done pretty well. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think if you are into hardcore this kind of music if you're listening to callous dial boys and 156 silence's new albums the day they come out on the friday you're gonna have a bloody lovely friday it's gonna be awesome mm. yeah yeah i i think so too uh, but it's just you know i mean forward thinking and stuff like not really no. but then it doesn't it doesn't really matter it doesn't really matter that it, it isn't particularly forward thinking or anything like no you know, it's it's just that uh, like i don't know 
I, for me, if, we, if we're making a list of the best, if you know, if I was going to recommend, if someone said to me, I'll oh, recommend me like five new hardcore bands, they'd probably be like the seventh. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that's Great. a fair assessment. Yeah. They're not even that new, really, are they? Three albums in. Anyway, they're still decent. They're still decent. The album is called Narrative. The band are called 156 Silence, and it's out now. There you go. So I hope you've enjoyed that. I hope you've got something to listen to today. Um, the day this podcast comes out, if you're listening to this podcast, the day that it comes out, which would be the uh, the 2nd of September, um, that is actually 34 years to the day since the Human Rights Now concert tour began in 1988, which is an interesting concert tour. We'll talk more about that concert tour in a minute. But it was a benefit show for Amnesty International. Now, benefit shows and tours feel like, to me, they're becoming rarer and rarer these days. Certainly kind of marquee, massive, well-known ones. And I was like, oh, yeah, there used to be lots of these things. So we sort of wanted to go, like, where did they come from? When did they peak? Um... You and I, Sam, then doing a little bit of digging. Mm. The first ever example of putting on a benefit show actually dates back to 1749. Handel doing performances of Messiah during a 10-year period until 1759 for a children's charity called Founding Hospital. Um, do you uh, been up for that? Oh, yeah, mate. I mean, I, I'd have to see who the support was, really. Beat but down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's up, yeah. Founding so, Hospital? Open this place yeah. up. Get this fucking place moving. Um I mean, I take that over the problems, to be fair. But yeah, so th- th- that's, I was surprised that these sort of benefit concerts went back as mm. fucking far as like the 1700s, the fucking 18th century. That's mad. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That was definitely a surprise for me because, um, I mean, naturally, I think the when you talk about benefit concerts, the first one that comes to everyone's mind is Live Aid, of course, the big, the big one, isn't it really, of all time. Mm-hmm. Mm. well we'll talk about that in a minute mm. i'm going to do this in the kind of chronological order oh yeah so we'll get to live aid and the explosion of these things because you've then got quite a long time without anything kind of notable um there was a benefit for hungarian and austrian soldiers orphans after the first world war in 1918 and there's not really then any sort of high profile ones until the 1970s which is when this shit really amps up now it's 1971 i would imagine the vietnam war and the idea that musicians and artists and people in power can now have some sort of influence over popular culture and the way that popular culture was turning into revolutionary acts in a Mm. lot of way counterculture i was watching a documentary about george carlin last night actually and he's kind of you know his his early stand-up then kind of becoming this revolutionary counterculture act only really could have happened in the mid to late 60s going through into the early 70s so i think that plays a pretty big part of it wouldn't you say yeah for sure i think um certainly also the kind of rise of um protest music in mainstream consciousness i mean obviously protest music had existed for so long before but really kind of comes to a head with bob dylan who's working in this era you know especially especially as you say i mean vietnam surely in america's got to be the kind of the turning point in terms of uh, revolutionary artistry uh, as as we know it today huge huge big bang moment in in terms of the way that people thought about music and what music could actually do mm. i think particularly like you say in ma- more mainstream popular culture uh in the aftermath of the vietnam war um you got one of the most famous concerts in 1971 at madison square garden george harrison put on a concert for bangladesh 
which was all to fund refugees of the East Pakistan and Bangladeshi Liberation War um, and featured the likes of Eric Clapton, Ravi Shankar, Ringo Starr, Bob Dylan and Billy Preston all playing over one night that's available on dvd to buy i remember that was out on dvd uh, back in the day don't know if you've ever seen any footage from that at all Sam? Ooh, i can't say for sure that i have i mean i may well have seen footage in in some way shape or form but i can't explicitly say i have sat down and watched the concert for bangladesh mm. no yeah i mean i've seen little clips and bits and bobs of it but not too much i wasn't familiar with this one uh the roosevelt the roosevelt raceway put on the festival of hope rock fest with tina knight turner Slyna family stone chuck berry and more all to raise funds for a disabled children's charity called easter seals mm. i was not familiar with this concert uh, prior to doing the research for this i, I certainly wasn't either and i mean you look at the you know thinking about the time that it happened and you look at the artists on that lineup it's kind of quite staggering that it's not one that's more widely known i don't think yeah i'd never ever heard of it before never mm. heard of it but again like you know I, these things were sort of still quite un unusual at that point i mean it's really only because of knowing about george harrison and because it was out on dvd that i knew about the concert for bangladesh mm. there still felt like these things were slightly less high profile than they would become um you get the no nukes concert at madison square garden with uh, crosby stills and nash bruce springsteen jill scott heron and the doobie brothers um against the use of nuclear energy in association with an activist group called muse musicians united for safe energy uh i imagine there'd be people if you're doing that now who would probably be like wow why it's all fake oh, God, um but fine and then like you say there's a few big ones but the 80s of course the big big one and i think the one that kind of kickstarts these things becoming bigger more prominent more high profile being covered on television getting like endlessly huge artists is live aid um i have been talking about doing something about live aid for a while now so i won't go into it too much but sam um you weren't even born when this happened no. live aid right? no uh no. i was uh oh, i can't do maths yeah a few years later i was born right okay yeah. i thought you were gonna say i was minus seven years old. <laughs> no i wasn't gonna do that <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. just like... a glint in the milkman's eye <laughs> <laughs> I believe in reincarnation and I actually <laughs> was some kind of water buffalo at that point. Um <laughs> I was I was a gnat near the uh, near the venue. So. Have you ever watched much of live? Have you paid any cuz I'm interested as somebody who wasn't even born at that time. I mean, I cannot tell you how fucking big a deal Live Aid was when I was young. Like, I didn't watch it cuz I was 5 when it when it happened. Mm. But the few years after it and how it was spoken about and i think still people talk about live aid you remember it like it was one of the biggest concerts ever and obviously yeah. queen at live aid and they did that at the you know recreated it for bohemian rhapsody which has put it back into sort of the the public consciousness um these days but did, did you have any sort of thoughts or feelings or interest in live aid being that you weren't even born when this was going on <sighs> thoughts feelings and interest is a difficult one i was certainly aware of it so for me i became aware of live aid because um i was into queen when i was young they were one of the first bands I ever listened to uh through five's magnificent cover of we will rock you as we oh all know my goodness me yeah mate back in the good old days the new early mid 90s lovely yeah. but uh, yeah got into queen and my dad um 
he had the like VHS. It might have even been a taped VHS from the time um, it would have of been Live Aid because yeah. it was not commercially available until two thousand and five. I want to say so. Yeah, I think. He yeah. Did, okay. Yeah. Uh, he, he nicked it off the telly but uh, yeah we uh, he showed me the queen set and you know i've seen it dozens of times over the years um but i mean the only reason i was really aware of live Aid is he told me i said wow were you there he said no no me and my brother were on the dole so we watched it at home it was like oh fair enough but uh, yeah i was aware of its impact just as a significant event before i even really understood the gravity of the charitable aspects or, or even kind of grasp the concept of a benefit concert um how many sets could I really call to mind? I mean, you know, I've seen a bit of the Boomtown Rats one. I've seen the Queen one. That's probably about it, really. You haven't seen a status quo one? Opening with Rocking All Over the World? No. Uh, no. No? No. You, uh, mate, uh, you two are fucking incredible that day. Mm. Fucking incredible. I don't give a shit who says anything. Um, Duran Duran, obviously, the, 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 the wrong note hit heard around the world by Simon yeah, Le Bon yeah. is all we need. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen I've seen those fourteen seconds quite a few times. Yeah, yeah, it's good that. <laughs> uh, mate, there's some there's some good shit. There's some good shit during live eight, but I'm going to save that um, for another time. another time because yeah. there's stuff that I want to do about. I want to do a big thing about live aid one day. But live aid was massive. It was so massive that it inspired people to go well our charity should do this oh and musicians want to do this and i think in the 80s like you were either a fucking yuppie or you were dead against kind of thatcherite reaganite britain and mm. america and western and you've got like you know the, the iron curtain and mm. you've got the threat of you know nuclear war is still there and musicians were picking up on the many different things that were happening in the world and going well that doesn't seem right you know apartheid like you say the the berlin wall and there were a lot of things for them to rail against back in those days interestingly it didn't take long before people got quite cynical about something about like live aid mm. and was like wow where's the money going god bob like show us where's it where is this famine like you haven't solved any famine and oh, why are you doing like a bunch of pop stars like preening and telling us what to do i think that is the that is the birth of that you know and people now like will tweet like oh you shouldn't you know murder cats Go, 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 you're fucking. Yeah, I'm not gonna tell you what to do. You, have you tell me what to do, privileged, fucking yeah. out of touch elitist, blah, 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 whatever. I think that is born from kind of Band Aid and Live Aid. I feel like that is like the, like where that ball, that snowball really started to roll. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that definitely that kind of piousness, isn't it? You know, as you say, the elitist mentality. I mean, looking into stuff around benefit concerts you know the the term geldofism has been coined as a kind of point of critique because it's saying that getting celebrities to be spokespeople kind of takes away from non-governmental organizations and pressure groups and things like that and it feels it feels like it's the start of the kind of real sort of factionless politics that we're certainly experiencing at the moment where it is kind of everyone at each other's throats and not really seeing the wood for the trees in terms of cooperating on one kind of well one or several end goals you know or kind yeah. of like charitable causes so yeah and, and you know i think as well let's be honest about it fucking phil collins sting bono and bob geldof telling me what to and paul mccartney telling me what to where i should be doing with my money you you could go 
shut up yeah yeah <laughs> like, i get know, it like, yeah. i hate your music do you know what i mean you would you would you'd be like if you were kind of you know if you're into punk rock or fucking you know like the indie scene or the early sort of if you go down a hacienda on the dole in manchester and living like or, or going to what you know for some sort of factory records night you probably look at sting and think well that, that and phil collins and be like well they're the fucking enemy like i'm not yeah listening to those people but it did inspire a raft of things including the one that we are going to talk about for a minute now the human rights now tour set up not to raise funds but to raise awareness this is one of the first awareness raising uh tours that happened on the 40th anniversary of the universal declaration of human rights in conjunction with amnesty international now amnesty international these days are a sort of household name all over the world but back then that was less true don't know if you're aware of that Sam, you like how they kind of built up. And I think this tour actually, it played a surprisingly big part into making Amnesty International become more well-known across the world. Okay, that that is interesting. I mean, naturally, I wasn't there at the time. But yeah, it, I suppose it's quite naive of me to think that, well, everyone always knew what Amnesty International was because it is an organisation that has been established and, you know, everything starts somewhere. So... Yeah, um, I hadn't even really considered the idea that it would need kind of uh, need or want any kind of bolstering from sort of a public awareness campaign. But yeah, yeah. So I mean, you know, it was basically they used to do the Secret Policeman's Ball every year. Mm. It's more of a kind of comedy thing with like Monty Python and Peter Cook and Dudley Moore, and they, that was to sort of raise funds and awareness for Amnesty International. And then uh, one of the producers of that particular tour. Um, uh, who's called Martin Lewis, not the money-saving expert, but uh, Martin Lewis actually managed to get people like The Who to play The Secret Policeman's Ball and decided that actually, like, you know, on, in the aftermath of Live Aid, might be a good idea to do something similar with, you know, actual musicians and stuff. So Human Rights Now tours, 20 shows over six legs, Europe, North America, Asia, one more European gig in Greece, South America and Africa and featured a bill including Bruce Springsteen, Peter Gabriel, Sting, Tracy Chapman, Houston Dorr, some special guests from various dates that included KD Lang, Bon and the Edge, Joan Bears, and various artists who were um, from the country that we that they were playing in. And they played some fucking massive venues. Well, mm. Wembley Stadium, the New Camp in Barcelona, uh, JFK Stadium and the LA Coliseum. So big, big massive venues. Now as I just mentioned, you could say, and it's always the question of who go like, you could say, well, what good did that actually do? What good did these things actually do? But um, by the end of this tour, Amnesty International had tripled their worldwide membership. It's so, mad. yeah. That is pretty mad. Like, that is sort of actual, you go, well, there you go. There's some demonstrable proof that there was a point to doing it yeah yeah of course uh bruce springsteen when the tour was announced said earlier today amnesty international announced a whole worldwide tour to celebrate the 40th anniversary of the declaration of human rights declaration of human rights is a document that was signed by every government in the world 40 years ago recognizing the existence of certain inalienable human rights for everyone regardless of your race your color your sex your religion your political opinion or the type of government that you're living under and there was a tour conceived straight after Live Aid, which took a, obviously took a few more years to come to fruition. Um, they were thinking about doing like a one-off date, which became, you know, a tour. They thought it wouldn't get the message across in terms of just doing one date. So um, at first, 
the bill that was put together was the Conspiracy of Hope tour that did six shows in the United States of America in 1986. The first band they asked to perform were U2, who were unable to perform because they were getting ready to record The Joshua Tree. Uh, the Edge said, we're building up to go into the studio to record The Joshua Tree, and I was worried that focus and concentration would be lost. But here's more nice things about U2 that I'm going to say. Because they're nice, they yeah. decided to prolong the recording of the album and called in the likes of Prince, Paul McCartney, Lou Reed and Peter Gabriel and said, would you come and do this tour with us? They all said no, unfortunately. But the tour itself did include Sting, who put together a police reunion for the last three shows on the tour. Mm. So the police had split up yeah. and he got the fucking got the police back together to do this tour, which I think is amazing because mm. obviously I've said it before, Sting solo, nah, the police, <laughs> yes. That's my feeling on the matter. I think that's um, a fair binary to have in terms of yeah, that I think man. So, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Stuart Copeland said, "I hadn't seen my drums in months, but I've also always been always been fond of Amnesty." And the shows were successful enough for Martin Lewis, who you know had put the bands on the Secret Policeman's Ball and had been kind of putting this together to start thinking about doing something else. And he was speaking to the Amnesty International Director Jack Healy. And he was alerted to the fact that 1988 was the 40th anniversary of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights um, and that they should do something spectacular. The initial idea, and I don't know how you feel about this, Sam, because this feels like fucking knackering. They were going to do a 24-hour long gig at Madison Square Garden. Ooh, blimey. No, no. I mean, Too I, long. Oh, rubbish. I mean, I, I get knackered travelling from Leicester to Nottingham to go and see... I don't know, Fontaine's DC at Rock City. 24 hours? Nah, you're all right, mate. I could, yeah, I mean, in 1988, my back would have been able to handle that. <laughs> but certainly not now. Fuck me. I couldn't handle fucking six hours at Reading. <laughs> by the time I was like, I was like a fucking made out of stone by the end of that. So 24 hours, like, absolutely no idea. No. So they decided to do another tour, this time taking it around in the entire world. In the 80s, it was quite a rare and unusual thing to take a huge package tour like this around the world that mm. had not really happened before so you're looking at one of the most logistically impossible tours to undertake um martin lewis said you can't go around the world and play countries outside of the us and develop europe without practically taking the entire stadium with you so when they're going to places like greece and hungary argentina india costa rica zimbabwe those places are not used to hosting massive rock concerts yeah. back in the 1980s so not only were the artists traveling together on cramped tour buses, people like Sting and Springsteen and Peter Gabriel, who are selling millions and millions of records, are playing these huge fucking decrepit stadiums and are also traveling on the fucking tour bus as well, which they probably wouldn't have been doing. <laughs> not for a fair few the, years, yeah. No, not with all the money flushing around the music industry back then. You're looking at fucking private jets and limos and shit. Absolutely. Doing. So it was quite different. Um, Niels Lofgren from the E Street Band said, at one stadium in Africa, there was a moat around the entire stadium. It ran through the dressing rooms and we started to complain about it. We realised we weren't going to get much... It was going to get much worse because it was the frigging bathroom. There were no toilets and people were just pissing and dumping into the moat. It just turned into a river. Mm. Gross. Lovely. That's pretty gross. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You're fucking Bruce Springsteen and your dressing room's got <laughs> a urinal running through it. Fucking 60,000 people just like running through it. That is fucking rank. Yeah. 
But I suppose it goes to show when people say, oh, these fucking rock stars are so preened and pampered and stuff. It's like, if it's something they really believe in, I guess they're kind of willing to put up with that shit mm. for something that they obviously believe in. And they obviously did believe in this as a cause, right? Yeah, because it's not like they were turning up to these venues, finding the kind of latrine in the dressing room and, and saying, no, I'm not going to go on now. Buggy, buggy you, Amnesty International. Where's my, I don't know, heron presented on a, a silver platter? I don't know. A heron? I don't know. <laughs> it's a fancy bird, isn't it? <laughs> Do you think Peter Gabriel has a heron <laughs> on his tour ride? <laughs> I'd love to think that he would. Well, you can't, weird dude. can't eat swans, so. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. I mean, the queen would come, you know, queen getting livid, stinging a headlock for <laughs> eating a swan. Um, even for someone like Bruce Springsteen, who had been touring for well over a decade, decade and a bit all over the place, um, spoke about a stadium show in the Ivory Coast in Africa, which was a massive eye-opening experience. I mean, again, like artists back then just didn't go to these sort of places. So mm. he said it was a stadium of entirely black faces. Clarence Clemens said to me, now you know what it feels like. There are about 60 seconds where you could feel people sussing us out and then the whole place just exploded. The band came off feeling like it was the first show that we'd ever done. We had to go and prove ourselves on just what we were doing at that moment on stage. And that's really cool. I mm. think like fucking fair play to go all the way out to, you know, to again, like I, I, I think everyone involved with this comes out of it sounding really good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and the the humility to, you know, be going to these venues and actually accepting that, you know, oh, not everyone has the same market and we're not revered like the kind of rock star giants that we are. You know, we are just <laughs> mortal after all, I guess. I think, yeah, it's really interesting kind of set of accounts. Mm, yeah for sure uh, all the concerts were actually filmed for TV but were never picked up it was only after Bob Geldof allowed Live Aid to be commercially available for the first time like I said in 2005 mm. that the members of Amnesty started thinking about finding recordings and releasing them uh, it wasn't easy to track them down MTV had attended many of the shows but had lost all of the footage and it wasn't until a painstaking search for old camcorder footage European and African footage from local television stations when all that was tracked down had to be kind of digitally remastered had to be restored had to be formatted and the shows were actually made available to purchase on a six DVD box set in 2013 on the 65th anniversary of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights that box set even included a 10th anniversary show footage from they did a kind of 10th anniversary show in Paris for, to sort of commemorate this tour, um, which included Radiohead and Page and Plant alongside Peter Gabriel and Bruce Springsteen as well. Blimey. That, that'd be all right, wouldn't it? Yeah, that sounds fucking yeah, good. Yeah. That. that sounds fucking good. And that really, in the 80s, I think the sort of post-Live Aid boom of this sort of thing happening... There haven't been loads afterwards. Mm. I mean, there are a few in the sort of in the, in, in the 90s um, you got the Roger Waters, the Wall concert in 1990 to commemorate the fall of the Berlin Wall. Um, that's quite controversial, that one. I don't know if you know what charity that was raising funds for, Sam. It was the fund, uh, the Memorial Fund for Disaster Relief. Uh, and that actually got wound up within like a year or so. And Roger Waters got all the royalties from the DVD sales mm. of that show. That's unusual, dodgy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit dodgy that isn't it so uh you know obviously the freddie mercury tribute concert when we stayed him in 1992 um in the uh mercury phoenix trust charity for hiv sufferers support 
Um, do you watch any of that as a Queen fan? Uh, you know what? I, I don't know that I've seen much of it. I've certainly seen some of Bowie's bit, but that's about it, okay. to be honest. Yeah. Like, I mean, looking through the, the other artists who were there, I can't believe I've not seen the Metallica bit. Oh, bloody, I like them. They're a good band. Yeah, they, they did Stone Cold Crazy. Well, yeah, of course. Obviously. Um, I didn't expect them to do Bohemian Rhapsody. No, well, you know, um, th- yeah. And they did do, uh, apparently they came on, they, they did Enter Sandman, Savagery, Nothing Else Matters as well. But of course, like for me, the big, the big, big one on that is Queen and George Michael doing Somebody to Love. That became like a massive, that was released as a single, mm. fucking massive. And yeah, it was, uh, it, it's quite good. There's some fucking weird people on that. That you look at yeah. and you go, now you go, fuck me. Lisa Stansfield doing I Want to Break Free. Lisa Stansfield. That, do, you, are you, do you know Lisa Stansfield at all? Oh, I'm kind of aware of the name, but uh, I can't say I know her personally. But, you know, people, you know, you grow apart, you lose touch. Yeah, you know, you, you do, don't yeah. hang out as often anymore. No. So. Zucchero, uh, he's on it as well. Fucking madness. Um, Ian Hunter. Madness with her? No, not Madness. No, no. Mad- oh, that would have been good. Madness obviously famously turned down Live Aid and they say that's why they had this massive career dip in the in the late 80s. That's what they blame it on. Well, fair play. Mm. I'll take Suggs at his word. Yeah. Liza Minnelli doing We Are The mm. Champions. That's, that yeah. is actually good, to be fair. Yeah. Oh, fair. Yeah. yeah. Okay. There's, I mean, I own... Yeah. There's some, there's, some pretty good, there's some pretty good stuff on here. Um, Gary Sharon from Extreme. I mean, mate, what are you doing there? That's fucking mad. No, that is a, a sore thumb booking, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. Like, they'd be forgotten about within about a year, uh, two yeah. years of that. Um, and then, you know, in in uh, in 1996, the Beastie Boys started the Tibetan free concerts to raise awareness of the cause for Tibetan independence. We have actually spoken about these gigs before. We did our Rage Against Machine special. They ran mm. from 96 to 99. They did one in 2001, 2003, and 2012. And the bill for some of these are fucking mad. Absolutely mad. Shall I run down the bill on these again, Sam? Yeah, please do, because it's just, it is, as you say, mad. And it's just like, oh my God, you'd want to be there. I you'd mean, do anything to be it's there. It's fucking crazy. So, San Francisco, 1996. They had Smashing Pumpkins, Beastie Boys, obviously, Tribe Called Quest, Pavement, Biz Markey, Richie Havens, quite an odd book, isn't it? John Lee Hooker, mm. Red Hot Chili Peppers, Radiance Machine, Sonic Youth, Beck, Foo Fighters, Bjork, Della Soul, Fuji's, Buddy Guy, Scarterlights, Yoko Ono, and then some speakers. Um, but fuck me, that is an insane fucking lineup. That is fucking yeah. insane. And then you go to 97. You've got Noel Gallagher, Foo Fighters, U2, Sonic Youth, Biz Markie again, Alaz Morissette, Patti Smith, John Spencer, Blues Explosion, Radiohead, Ben Harper and Innocent Criminals, Tribe Called Quest, Beastie Boys, again, obviously, Rancid, Bjork, Pavement, Blur, Michael Stipe and Mike Mills from R.E.M., De La Soul again, great, Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, hey. Scar was a thing, Eddie Vedder and Mike McCready, KRS-One, Porno for Pyros, Lee Scratch Perry. Unbelievable. Like that, that is one of the fucking best lineups for anything I've ever seen in my life, ever. Oh, for sure. Like, like all time, absolutely stunningly, just fantasy lineup, and Noel Gallagher was there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the, so the first one, 96, they raised 800 grand. 
mm. and then he raised 250 grand the next time but then when they did it in 98 they raised 1.2 million and mm. again the lineup is fucking insane it's a lot of the same people to be fair but you just be like yeah fine let me go to this I mean, you go and see him you know pc boys radiohead sean lennon money mark tribal quest dave matthews band sonic youth wycliffe john oh yeah uh, Herbie <laughs> Hancock, <laughs> REM, KRS One, Wallflowers, Blues Traveller, Pearl Jam, Lusus Jackson, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Pulp, Brand Van Three Thousand, Drinking in LA. They were there with their song. Um, <laughs> good for them. Yeah, fucking unbelievable. Like, again, really, really good. And then finally, in 1999, it's got it over the course of three concerts or four. Sorry, actually, Tokyo, Sydney. Wisconsin and Amsterdam and Wisconsin they had Run DMC The Cult Beastie Boys Blondie Tracy Chapman The Roots Live Eddie Vedder Otis Rush Handsome Boy Modeling School Rage Against the Machine in Amsterdam they have Garbage Blur Urban Dance Squad Alanis Morissette Ben Harper Luscious Jackson Joe Strummer Tom York and Johnny Greenwood in Tokyo they had people I've never heard of before to be honest and then in Sydney Again, it's not a great... The Avalanches, Neil Finn, Living End. But, you know, mm. the first two, fucking yeah. brilliant. Yeah, fucking definitely. brilliant. Really good. And then it does sort of... It, it does sort of... Uh, you know, it does sort of peter out a little bit after that. Mm. But, you know, fucking... They were great, those Tibetan Freedom concerts. And loads of it, loads of it is on iTunes. Uh, on iTunes, sorry, mm. on YouTube. Not iTunes. Yeah. It's not on iTunes. Uh, and it, well, it might be because they actually released an album of it as well. I think they did a, they released them as a sort of live album, some of them as well. Yeah. Stuff they had to raise funds for it. But fuck me, that was brilliant. And that is sort of like the last one that I can look at and go, that was great. You know what I mean? Because you get the concert for New York in mm. October 2001 in the aftermath of the 9 11 attacks with Paul McCartney sort of set it all up with Bowie doing a song. Everyone just doing like one song. Billy Joel, Elton John, The Who, and uh, the Backstreet Boys. All right. <laughs> I mean, the Backstreet Boys are there. Yeah. Um, well, they good. were back. All right. They were back. And then 20 years after Live Aid, you get Live Aid, which was raising awareness for poverty in the world and hoping that the G8 would see it and do something about it. The mm. percent of the politicians that do something about it. Um, Live Aid was massive live eight felt like it was going to be like it had so much hype around it i was actually living two of my housemates actually went to live eight uh i didn't even try and get tickets to be honest but that was a big deal i mean you were alive then sam i Did was you kind of know what all the fuss was about at that point um well i can't say i really knew what the fuss was about at that point um i think this was one of those ones where it was like oh there's a big gig going on and it's for a good thing and that's about as much as on you being like 11 and thick. Yeah. Did yeah. you watch any of it? Nah. Didn't not, certainly it. not at the time, no. 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 I've definitely seen snippets since, but I didn't watch it when it happened, no. I mean, it was a bloody... You know, it was not a terrible, 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 terrible uh, thing. Like, there's some quite good stuff on it. You two and Paul McCartney opened it up doing Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Not quite mm. as good as doing Rock and Over the World with Status Quo, to be fair. <laughs> well, what is? No. Yeah. You got the Pink Floyd reunion, which is fucking awesome. Yeah, I mean, that I have seen. That is an incredible bit of footage. Yeah. Yeah, it's brilliant. And 
you know, you got Robbie Williams stinking a fucking place out. <laughs> but it's shit like razor light and keen. Yeah. And like no shade on like shade on them, but no real shade on Scissor Sisters and Miss Dynamite or Velvet Revolver. But I do think like looking back at everyone who played live aid, kind of everyone, like with the exception of a few, I mean no one's really Howard Jones and Nick Kershaw, no one's really that bothered about apart from me um <laughs> these days but like there are loads who played at live eight where you're like fuck me how did they get there yeah yeah <laughs> what happened and you know you've got madonna and snoop dogg and rem and there's like good stuff of that day but yeah it wasn't great it wasn't great you got mm. fucking the philadelphia one you got kaiser chiefs opening it and it's like come on lads come on matchbox 20 i don't Ooh. want this no Not don't great. need it but I suppose, you know, you have to go to the the artists that are going to be a big draw at the time, don't you? And, you know, obviously music yeah. was a lot worse in 2005 than it was in <laughs> the 1980s. So, yeah. Um, and as well, like Live Earth came a few days, mm. you know, after the, the Al Gore one, like Al Gore went, oh, yeah, do, let's do, let's do this. Brilliant. Yeah, let's do the, let's do a thing. And I, I remember watching, I went to see Glassjaw at Brixton Academy mm. and it was the day before Metallica played Wembley Stadium. And I sort of didn't really know what was going on, but Metallica played that. But again, fucking Keener on it. Kareem Bailey Ray, the Black Eyed oh, Peas, Paolo Minatini, Snow Patrol, Damien Rice and David Gray together. Like, what are they fucking doing together? Razorlight again. The Pussycat Dolls. When you look at some of the presenters as well, Alan Carr, Ugh. Gerard Butler, Eon Grifford, June Sarpong, <laughs> Nev Campbell, Mickey, J Rob Reiner, like who even is Kevin Wall? Oh, he's just a producer. Fine. So yeah, at this point, I was getting really like fucking hell. These things are they're really like they're getting a bit crap now. Mm. They're getting a bit crap when you're letting bloody Madonna and Go Go Bordello and the Red Hot Chili Peppers headline. It's like it's not the best. Mm. There was like apart from that, you've got. Other, I think, have you ever seen the footage of the concert for Sandy Relief at Madison Square Garden where you got the Nirvana, quote unquote, Nirvana reunion? Yes, I have seen that because I remember that, you know, doing the rounds on the news, uh, on news websites and stuff. Um, mm. But, but so that's basically, the of it. yeah, Paul McCartney fronting Nirvana, yeah, playing a kind of blue old blues song cover, and it's all right, you know, it's quite good. It is quite nice to see the the, the lads from Nirvana playing it. I mean, that was all for the the hurricane sandy relief thing mm. you've got kanye west springsteen the who alicia keys clapton bon jovi rolling stones and then you got one love for manchester in 2017 the ariana grande thing that took place after the attack in the mm. manchester arena in one of her gigs take that liam gallagher katie perry coldplay miley cyrus pharrell but they're few and far between these sort of events now mm. and i don't know why they don't feel like a big deal is it me have i got older is it because festivals are so stacked these days i mean it, um, it could be certainly and yeah with the kind of you know proliferation of more broadcast technology you know you do get these kind of history making sets at glastonbury like kendrick's earlier this year that available for the world to see absolutely whenever they want i mean well i suppose maybe not the best example because of are players restrictions and things like that but um 
you know that stuff gets ripped and put on youtube so much more easily than it ever could have done back in the day you know we're talking about my dad's vhs copy that he taped of live aid back you know back when it originally happened you know he wasn't passing that around mm. to seven billion people across the planet no you can look at the lineup to glastonbury mm. and you can look at the lineup to coachella and you can go fuck me like every big artist pretty much who's current and massive is playing that festival mm. and that never used to be the case no it didn't used to be the case even at glastonbury every year and it certainly wasn't on television that much in the same way as live aid was so i think it's just like you know you can see it but i also think social media has made us cynical pricks that you kind of demand people use their platform but kind of other people begrudge them for doing that mm. and you go i do use your platform use your platform use your platform and that just means posting something online and it's you know without really having to do much if you actually do much more than that you get kind of castigated for kind of being a for preaching mm. and i'm just a bit like I, I like musicians for me i want them to do the thing the reason i care about musicians is because i like their music and is the reason I started paying, to the, paying attention to them was for their music. Mm. So I, if I'm going to listen to what they have to say about something, I want it in conjunction with their music. I mean, would you rather that they had to Pope were kind of like cajoled into just posting a black square or speaking out against something which was said about another band member or something on their social media? Or would you rather that they tried to do the thing that they do for a living to sort of facilitate their belief system more but i think the world's just made us really really cynical now i think it's a shame that, that it's moved on so much in both directions that these sort of gigs don't happen as much unless somebody dies or unless there's something some, really terrible yeah, that happens massive atrocity of some sort yeah and if they did they've been met with such a cynical reaction these days for the most part i think yeah absolutely and i think um going back to uh when we were talking about a live aid in particular and sort of the, the critique of geldofism in terms of celebrities championing things i think that cynicism absolutely extends to real kind of factionalism which i suppose actually goes back to the top of the show talking about kind of holding artists and celebrities in maybe too high a regard and you know expecting <laughs> i don't know an absolute sort of paragon of justice of certain ones um or paragon of morality not even justice but um we we were talking sort of when we were brainstorming the show hypothetically about strange that yeah you, you don't see these benefit concerts so much these days i mean the one for me that sprang to mind was i was surprised there wasn't a massive massive sort of concerted effort in into in the um wake of george floyd and brianna taylor and the kind of the reigniting of um black lives matter on the kind of global stage as a conversation kind of surprised that didn't happen but then as you say i mean it's both should you expect artists to be forced into doing it out of obligation or should they do it because they want to? I'm sure there's plenty of artists who would have wanted to do it. But then the derision they'd face from one side saying, well, you shouldn't be doing this. Why aren't you putting more effort into these problems that I hold dear? And then you've got the people who are totally in support of it, who are then so pious that they'd criticise it for not being done in the specific right way. Like if you two come out and do, say there's a cost of living crisis benefit tour later this year and you two play it, how many people on Twitter are going to do the, oh, haven't they suffered enough thing, you know? Uh, Which is what they did when Bono and the Edge went and played. In Ukraine. In Ukraine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 
and they'd probably say, well, remember that time when you didn't pay your taxes or mm. something, you know, like <laughs> sort of go, do you think Bono sits down and actually like <laughs> signed into like you, like yougov.co.uk <laughs> like self-assessment and, starts tax to, return. And, ta- and gets gets all of his receipts out and stuff. It's like, no, he fucking, I mean, I've said this before and I'm obviously, you know, going to stick up for you too. But I think like, when that happened, you know, that was something that people were going, oh, they're not good people because there was a tax thing that, that happened mm. to them. It's like, well, that was a tax loophole that shouldn't exist. And they their accountant did it and they found out about it afterwards and went, oh, shit, okay, well, yeah, we'll pay that thing. And it's like, well, no, you shouldn't have let it happen. Shouldn't ever let anything, you shouldn't ever do anything that I, <laughs> me personally, don't think is morally, even though it actually was officially legal. And, you know, like, I don't even know how much they fucking knew yeah. about it. Do you know what I mean? Like, stuff like that is, is kind of mad to me. And that will now be like, this is the stick to fucking batter them with mm. forever. And I think it means that, yeah, you'd have to be really thick skinned mm. to go into doing something like that and when i see going back to you know the the concerts that we initially started talking about where artists are sacrificing the the plush lifestyle that they had at that time to go to the ivory coast mm. and play in front of people who don't know them with piss running through their dressing rooms i think you know that's a really it, it that's a really good thing but it's easier to just sing 10 seconds of imagine on your phone yeah and stick it on tiktok and it or whatever to, yeah <laughs> yeah and send it to wonder woman and <laughs> actually do anything now so i think it's a shame i think they are interesting gigs and i think you know they in a, in a lot of cases you know particularly with the human rights now tour you see a massive uptake in people signing up for amnesty international and that's brilliant um but we just live in, in such a different world now that 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 almost feels like a kind of naive quaint little thing to mm. have happened but i actually think I, I kind of miss that as a as an idea and as an ideology really yeah i mean i think in a, in an ideal world you could put one of these events on and it would be a real kind of even just for the 12 hours that the gig goes ahead a real kind of you know sense of unity you know kind of on a local or maybe national or international level or whatever but yeah i think unfortunately (laughs) any artist or promoter or philanthropist who wanted to put something on it uh, on of that of that form would would be on a hiding to nothing and you know it would just be trial by social media and they they end up getting forgotten in the crossfire of people fucking berating each other about how you should feel about a certain topic um yeah it's a shame they don't exist anymore i can kind of well we can posit the reasons why but uh yeah be nice to see him back i mean saying that you know you've i should say this week mm. as we said that we we're going to start talking about this uh ed sheeran and jesse ware have been confirmed for a benefit gig for the self-belief trust that was set up in the name of jamal edwards after his death we spoke about that earlier this year so these things still do happen mm. I mean, you know as people listening for a long who listen for a long time probably know you know i do a lot of uh i do the teenage cancer trust concert at the royal albert hall every year and um i sort of work around that and um yeah so you know those things happen i just think that like most things maybe maybe we're letting social media cloud our judgment a little bit here i think anything like you say would get like a battering Mm. and you'd have to have a proper fucking thick skin to get through it but ultimately most people are probably um most like around the world you know 
Coldplay are selling out stadiums. I'm sure most people on Twitter or whatever or Instagram wouldn't admit to being like, oh, I love Coldplay. Mm. But yet, you know, people fucking... Go and see them. Do Those yeah. things are massive. Those things are massive because they're massive. So, yeah, I mean, if they set up a massive Ukrainian relief concert at Wembley Stadium and they booked fucking loads of bands I liked, I think that would be an amazingly historic thing to go mm. to. But... I don't think they will. No, I I don't see it happening. I think actually, as you say, um, so you know, we're talking, you know, Ed Sheeran is going to be part of a benefit concert. Why is that not bigger news? Because I guess, yeah, kind of with the the rise of festivals getting longer and more and more, you know, kind of grand in their ambitions of performers. I guess these one-off shows, unless it is absolutely a kind of a global concern, like you know, like Ukraine, uh, the kind of Russian invasion of Ukraine at the moment something like climate change really should be <laughs> more at the forefront of the discussion than uh, than it is certainly in britain you know with the mm-hmm. leadership hustings and everything but i guess yeah they're they're not as spectacular anymore are they charity fundraising because these artists play everywhere all the time because now they don't make any revenue from record sales they're always on tour because it's the only way they can really sustain themselves unless they are well ironically unless they are ed sheeran who's the most streamed artist on the planet apart from maybe bts or someone like that and yet he's always out on tour all the time. So, oh, he plays fucking loads all of shows, the time. Yeah, he yeah. does a lot of charity shows. Yeah, as well, so yeah. fucking like yeah. He's not. He's a. I don't want to listen to his music, but he's all right. That Ed Sheeran. Anyway, there you go. I mean, do feel free to tweet us your thoughts if you've got anything that you'd like to add to this conversation. But I just thought it was an interesting little thing. Mm. Um, and uh, that's the end of the show. Thanks very much for coming back on, Sam. Appreciate that. That's uh, that's your shift over with. Oh, thank for God. Week. Go and have a pint. <laughs> Lovely. Go and have a pint. Uh, we'll be back next week. I think we're going to whack in the old Rina Sawayama album next week, which we couldn't get in advance, unfortunately. And I believe it would be time to dust off the old Metalcore um, review hat and talk about the new Parkway Drive album probably as well. Lovely stuff. Great. Anyway, <laughs> we'll see you next week, guys. Thanks for listening. Go to patreon.com forward slash right podcast if you want to sign up and we'll have some new content there fairly soon. I'm confident fairly soon. And go to arctangent.co.uk forward slash tickets. Put right act ATG into the checkout and you will be able to get 10% off of a very reasonably priced ticket for next year's ATG. Get in there early. Get in there early, lads and lasses. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.